Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 677 with Anisha Blodgett. In five years, if you were going to look back at your life, did you choose where you want to be or did you just fall into it? Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Were you aware that 89% of guests will research a restaurant online before dining out? This is why it is so important for you to be mindful of what your online presence is. Visit getbento.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your Bento Box website today. Bento Box empowers restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships online. One more time, that is getbento.com slash unstoppable. For years, restaurant owners have been pleading for more integration in their restaurants, and they finally got it. Restaurant 365 is a cloud-based, all-in-one, restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with POS systems, payroll providers, and food and beverage vendors. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and a free inventory build in Restaurant 365, a value of $5,000. You got to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system. Wisetail is a forward-thinking training and communication platform built to engage today's workforce. Wisetail is trusted because it grew up alongside some of the most recognized restaurants in the industry. This has helped them shape their products and its functionality through real-world feedback and rigorous testing. WiseTail can help you scale your training initiatives across all locations while empowering your employees to take control of their learning and their professional growth. To learn more, head over to www.wisetail.com slash unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. And if you use my links, you'll get three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Anisha Blodgett. Anisha, are you feeling unstoppable today? Always unstoppable. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yes, awesome. So this is a really, uh, this is one of I would call it one of my unique interviews in the sense that we get a lot of people who have been in the industry for like tens or 20, 30 years, right? Um, they spent their lives in the year and in the, they've spent their lives in the industry and we're here to make an example of their story and how they got to where they are. But sometimes some of these folks that get on the show who've been in the, in, in the industry, it's really hard to spit out. I don't know why I should say <laughs> it like that. People who have been in the industry for 20 or 30 years, um, opening a restaurant then was a completely different game to opening a restaurant today. The markets have changed, technology is evolving. Um, I just think it's a different game. So every once in a while, I come across folks like yourself uh, who have reached out to me, who are listeners of the show. And uh, when I when I'm traveling around, I, I try to look these people up to you know go check out their restaurants, see how they're doing, to have a place to hang out, find the leads, right? And that's kind of what was going on here in, in my research to see like what what was going on since I last talked to you. I think the first time you reached out to me was when like before we were even open. Actually, it was probably two years ago. Yeah, when I was first like two years getting ago, the idea right? down. And I was like, oh, this seems like a cool concept, like. 
and like we were following each other on Instagram, mm-hmm. like I was following your work and I, I admired even from a distance, like how well you were at putting or how well you, you shared the, the, the step-by-step and like you took people on the journey mm-hmm. of opening your restaurant. I was like, Oh, she's, she's got that down. She's mm-hmm. nailing that. And, um, then I listened to this podcast when I when I got here into San Diego, where you were interviewed by uh, what was it, Trust and Truth or Truth? Yeah, Thrive Trust and, and Thrive. Trust, Trust and, and Thrive. Thrive. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you did a great job on that that interview, and you shared such such great advice. And um, I learned so much about you in that interview. And I was like, I didn't have any idea. Like she had a background in real estate. Um, you have a master's degree, mm-hmm. um, and I think your your story is really inspirational because you don't have any restaurant experience prior to opening no, this restaurant. I haven't even worked so, like a busser job or yeah. waitressing job. So, I mean, I think it's a really inspiring story for anybody who's listening to this who might be discouraged. And I mean, I I'm not gonna lie. I always recommend going and getting years of experience before ever opening mm-hmm. a new place. Um, it's probably the most safeguarded way of doing it because mm-hmm. you have that experience under your um, but you're doing it and you're doing it well. <laughs> so I wanted to invite you to come on the show to kind of uh, use you as inspiration and to get some great knowledge out of you. Cause I know you have that great knowledge in there. You're a smart lady. So, um, I set the listeners up. That's kind of what's going on right now. So before we dive into your story, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a, su- a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Yeah. So mine has been live intentionally. And I think I may have even pulled it off of one of your old podcast episodes. Oh, it just so resonated. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess the way I look at it is, in five years, if you're going to look back at your life, did you choose where you want to be or did you just fall into it? Mm. And that goes for everything. So your friendships, the relationships you have, the people you're surrounding yourself with, your career path. Is it something that you actively wanted and made decisions to create or... Are you reacting to the world mm-hmm. around you, right? Yeah. I love it. Great way to get this thing started. And you've clearly been very intentional with what you've been doing. So where does it make sense to start telling your story? So, I mean... Maybe Real just estate. my background. Yeah, yeah. Like, get into it. <laughs> okay, so I guess so. I'm Canadian. I went to business school in Canada, and then I moved to New York. I was working in commercial real estate investments for a few years. And at that point, um, I was moving to Europe and I wanted to do, I, I thought I wanted to do, and I still love real estate as an industry, I wanted to do more development. Okay. And so I did a construction, um, construction management program in. Sorry, I took a master's in construction management. And from there, um, I realized I wanted to do a food hall or some sort of wellness center. I'm really passionate about health and wellness. And I've been in the fitness industry, not as a professional, but more as an enthusiast for probably about five years. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to create a space that would encompass wellness from fitness, like healthy eating, um, more of a community space. That flies being a test. And so when I did my master's in construction management, my thesis was on developing food halls in adaptive reuse projects. Because I really like those. So, like, if you're thinking of old, like the one in Atlanta, um, that really cool food hall that's there. Well, there's some. There's so many popping up there's everywhere so, right now, yeah. and there's a lot of benefits to food halls in the sense that, as a restaurant owner, like all you have to focus on is the food, right? Yeah. Um, you don't have to worry about somebody coming in cleaning, or I, I mean, every food hall is a little different, mm-hmm. but really, um, a lot of like the operational logistics stuff is taken care of, and you're just there to cook, uh, which mm-hmm. is, I mean, very 
I mean, you can get in your lane. If your thing's food, like you can stay in your lane mm-hmm. and there's a lot of power there. Uh, what were some of the other lessons you learned through researching food halls? And um, Well, I was actually your... interested in bu- in being the developer behind okay. it. So not actually operating any of the food stalls, gotcha. but being the person that amalgamated all these different healthy things in one place. Okay. And so I, I, I interviewed um, multiple food halls and I talked to the architects, the contractors, and the owners of the food halls. And <laughs> I realized through that process that there was just way too much going on yeah. and I couldn't do that on my own. <laughs> Lots of money too. These are big facilities. Yeah. You need millions. You think uh, opening a restaurant's expensive, like maybe yeah. close to tens of, or probably hundreds of millions of dollars of so not getting close to a billion, mm-hmm. not, not maybe not a billion, but super big money. Like these, <laughs> these are big facilities. Um, so what, what made you stop chasing that dream or maybe you still are chasing. So I guess I figured, so I finished my master's program and I had recently moved to San Diego. Um, and I was trying to figure out what to do here. And I just, I realized I couldn't do that. So I was kicking around, okay, what could I do? And I'd previously lived in London. So I was thinking I could do high protein cheese. Uh, maybe it was like a halo top, healthy ice cream. I was just looking at different ideas and I, I ended up landing on healthy pizzas. That was something that I was eating when I lived in Frankfurt. So I kind of moved around a little bit yeah. <laughs> in Frankfurt, Germany. Uh, Germany. Yeah. Yes. So London, Germany, Canada. Yeah. <laughs> New York. <laughs> so in Germany, the, the place that I ate at every single day, because I didn't cook there, we didn't really have a kitchen, yeah. was high protein pizzas. And they had high protein burgers. And I just felt good about eating that food. And I, And before then, when I was in my healthy kick, I just didn't eat pizzas or I was feeling so guilty about eating them. So and I was like, okay, you know what? Let me try and figure out how to make my own healthy pizza. And I played around with different recipes. So I did, I looked at like coffee flowers, like just alternative ingredients that I could use to make a healthier pizza. And there was a lot of really bad pizzas in there. <laughs> coffee flour. Huh? Yeah. Sort of, how did that come out? I'm it's curious. a fruit outside of a coffee bean. And okay. you can even buy this flour from Trader Joe's and okay. it tastes awful. <laughs> it's <was> super healthy. <laughs> so I was just experimenting with different things. Yeah. So when did you, how did you come across the right recipe? When did you know you had something? I would say I, I thought I had something um, when my husband ate it <laughs> and it tasted good. And then I had different friends eat it. And then I did, I wanted to make sure it wasn't something that I just liked. So a lot of the brand new work from my real estate background, I knew that a lot of the brand new apartment complexes being built in any city have catering kitchens. It's mm. part of their amenity space. So I reached out to um, a lot of these apartment complexes and set up tasting events. So I went there, I cooked my pizzas in their oven. So I they did all my prep at home, brought my pizzas to their ovens, and they were free events just to get feedback. Yeah. Where did you get this idea? Was this something that just came to you? Did you see somebody else do it? How did you know to do that? I just knew I needed to get people to try my food to find out if there would be demand for it because I yeah. couldn't just go open a restaurant. Proof of concept, yeah. right? I needed somehow to prove it out. And I looked at farmer's markets, but with the pizza oven, it just seemed like... Um, it just seemed like a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Lower, like you, you could just literally roll in with your ingredients mm-hmm. and use what was on site at these, uh, apartment complexes. Yeah. And I had little feedback forms for people. So I had at least 300 people that I didn't know, try my food, give me feedback All on at it once or uh, no, multiple. Over how many lo- locations? Yeah. How many I, times w- I probably went to five or six different okay. locations. Gotcha. And so we did 
small events, like 20 people up to 60, 80 people when it was just a bigger apartment complex. We were pumping out pizzas. Well, I, the, what, this is one of the things I loved about your story because I'm always saying don't think like you need to start with having the brick and mortar. Start mm-hmm. today. Start now with what you can do. Mm-hmm. And what you can do is get feedback on your product. What you can do is invite people to these events and collect emails so mm-hmm. that they can grow with you. Like I remember when that that woman was you know testing recipes in my uh, my complex. Now she she owns a restaurant. Like I'm gonna mm-hmm. go like because there's like I you know I'm tied. Like I, I helped form this restaurant. I, I gave my my opinion on the food you know mm-hmm. uh, maybe i'm stretching it a little bit right now but i guess the point is like that we, we say do pop-ups right to mm-hmm. get that proof of concept to, to grow your brand this is i never even thought about going to an, an apartment complex mm-hmm. i mean what, what should we know if we're like oh that's a great idea like give us some some more advice how do we find these places so you so if you just look at some of the newer nicer most expensive apartment complexes yeah. that's where i started because the ones that have the highest like rental rates, yep. those are the ones that have those amenity spaces. Yep. And I wonder, what about legalities? Did you have to get a permission or how did that work? Yeah, I, I looked into it a little bit. Like if I had to buy insurance, it would have been a lot. Like it just wasn't worth it. So I did have people kind of just sign in, check in. And when I had them write their email on that little paper form when they were coming in, I just said, Schools you know, are- yeah, <laughs> like you're trying our pizzas from your own free will. And uh, I would say I just kind of took a little bit of risk, but I also tried to just get them to sign well, something. Also, at the same time, like nobody's doing this yet, so like there aren't any regulations around it, really. Yeah, like, just sometimes, it's like a lemonade stand. You know, like, what's that saying? <laughs> like, um, like ask for forgiveness later. Like, do it yeah. now. Ask for forgiveness. I can't remember the. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Do you know what? I'm, do you know the, the quote I'm saying? I or, think it's just like take. I don't know. Do take, it now and, and ask for from. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think it's something like that. I can't remember what it is, but um, that's the whole idea. Just go. I mean, what's going to stop you from going mm-hmm. out, getting out there? And anybody who's listening to this, like, why not? rent out the space. Why not talk to the tenant and be like, Hey, like, why don't we do something for your tenants where mm-hmm. we bring everybody together and I'm, I'm a chef and mm-hmm. like, I'll cook a meal for everybody. And the property managers store. were pretty pumped about it because, um, and, and I did some, and then from there, other property managers are like, Oh, this is a really cool resident activity. Can you come do it at our place? Yeah. See, so <laughs> um, it's just, I thought, I thought that was really interesting. Um, so, you know, you know, you had to test the concept. You need a mm-hmm. proof of concept. Um, what were some of the other, other challenges in the early days with having no experiences? Or uh, one thing I know that you, yeah. using your your real estate background, how did that serve you? Um, I, the real estate background helped me with the construction. So figuring out um, like creating criteria around what kind of team do I want to put in place? So looking at my architect, my contractor, um, anybody else, like I was thinking I might need a restaurant designer. I ended up just working with a really good restaurant equipment supplier who helped me figure out everything I needed. So just vetting out the people that you want to have on your team. How did you know who would be on your team? How did you know you needed a team? Like where did you go to figure out what, what team members you would need? I did. I did a lot of research. So I didn't work in a restaurant, but I spent all of that time. So I was, I was Canadian. So I was working through my immigration process. Aren't you technically still Canadian? Yeah, I'm Canadian. <laughs> I'm still Canadian, but I wasn't, I didn't have a, I didn't have a work visa when gotcha. I first moved here. So I wasn't able to go in to a restaurant and get experience. You weren't and American yet. I wasn't, yeah. And I didn't have a green card and I didn't want to spend eight months just sitting around and yeah. I didn't want, and because I couldn't work, mm-hmm. I, I, I learned a different way. So I use different resources, like a lot of research online. I set up the same way you're setting up podcast interviews. I set up just different meetings with different restaurant owners, yeah. or pizza owners. We see that all the time on the show too. Like yeah. go talk to people in your market. Like yeah. they will 
they'll tell you things that are only specific to your market mm-hmm. that you wouldn't be able to get this advice otherwhere. I went to the pizza expo and I was probably the only person there, but because my dough is so different, it's, it's like a protein ground flax, healthy pizza dough. It doesn't cook the same way. Mm. So I made, when I went to the pizza expo, I brought all my dough with me and I went and every single oven was there. So I tested out my dough in every single oven. Oh my God, I never thought of that. <laughs> and I made them like change their temperature settings and fix it to what I would do. And I used that as a free opportunity to just go and figure out what oven I would want to buy. Oh my gosh, that's so <laughs> smart. Um, I mean, it just goes to show the power of creativity and just like living in that frontal lobe and like mm-hmm. not taking no for an answer. Like, how am I going to figure this out? Yeah. Well, don't quit. Like, get creative. Find out way. Like, all these mm-hmm. little things you're doing, I, I think, is just so impressive. Um, so, there's something else I, I remember from your story. Um, it, it escaped my mind. I'm sure it will come back to my mind. Um, oh, uh, so you have that that uh, real estate background. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have any restaurant experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you knew that you were going to have trouble uh, securing a location because mm-hmm. tenants don't typically give rent out space to somebody who doesn't have that track record of mm-hmm. success, right? Or even getting bank loans. Was that something mm-hmm. you had to do? So so financing-wise, I had my family invest. So my in-laws, my parents. So I've been very fortunate. I didn't have to go out and convince a bank to to fund me. Um, I used family money. But for them to, especially like my in-laws are not immediate family in that same sense, I had to go and I created a full business plan for them. And because I have a finance background, my Excel model is insane. <laughs> so I did a full, full financial analysis of what are my food costs going to be? What are my margins going to be? How much do I need to sell? What's my traffic going to be like? I sat in restaurants in different parts of the city, um, similar restaurants as well as in my neighborhood. And I sat down and I just tr- counted traffic. And I sat close to the register so I could hear the total check numbers. So I could just figure out, okay, what's a realistic amount of traffic I could get in a day? And Man. I did it on weekdays and weekends. How many? How long were you doing this? How many times would you say you went out to, to get this information? Oh, probably at least 30, wow. 30 40 places. Yeah. yeah, I mean that just goes to show that like the job of opening a restaurant doesn't start when you open your restaurant. It starts no. on the day that there's conception of mm-hmm. like a concept. Right? I probably spent eight months just trying to f- before I signed a lease. So I think I decided in September that this is what I want to do, and I waited till May. I wouldn't say waited. I would say I prepared myself till May before signing a lease and being officially invested in this happening. Wow. And I think one other thing I heard from the other recording of the other podcast you did uh, that I, I wanted to highlight here is you, you took the place of the real estate agents mm-hmm. or the, the property owners, mm-hmm. uh, being a real estate agent, you knew what the no's were going to be mm-hmm. and you started eliminating those no's by yeah. becoming by being prepared. What were some of those no's that you were anticipating? What were some, what was the resistance you were anticipating that you, that somebody who's listening to this mm-hmm. might not be aware of some of that resistance be, because they don't have the real estate background. So from a property man, uh, from a property owner's standpoint, if they lease they want to lease their space to somebody who's going to be successful because it takes their property off of the market. They might be, they, for me, I had like probably like four months of free rent. So that's a period of time that they're not getting paid um, their rental income. So they're taking it off and they're they're investing in you to actually do a good job and be in their lease for their five years or whatever yeah. that you signed it. Yeah. And so... I was up against, so this is a second generation restaurant space. It used to be a Papa John's. And so there was a, there was demand for this space. There's not a lot of second gen space in this neighborhood. And so 
there was somebody else looking for this and they already had two other locations for their pizza places. And I was lucky. I was lucky as well as smart in trying to convince my landlord why he should be going with me as opposed to somebody that's already got a space. And I also knew that. What was your argument? I'm curious before you get into it. Well, I just had a full business plan. I said, well, we're going to be doing something totally different. Like there's other pizza places in this neighborhood. I don't think that they're going to be successful doing a traditional pizza place. We're doing something different. And the other thing I said is we're going to be investing in your space. So we made their space look a lot nicer and this is an asset that technically belongs to the landlord not me Mm -hmm. so we put in these garage door roll-up windows we spent a lot of money on our plumbing like the amount of money i thought that i would be investing to make this space what i wanted to be was a lot more than what the other people were looking at spending okay and this is still really basic so he's saying he now the the tenant or the landlord is thinking uh even if you you know do this and fall flat on your face. Like I, I got, have a broader property. Yeah, I, I got a facelift. My business mm-hmm. got a face, my, my property got a facelift. That's mm-hmm. smart. Um, I cut you short. Um, you were going to say, I, I also did this really well. Do you remember that train of thought? No, uh, I apologize. <laughs> um, I think one other thing that's worth bringing to the surface too, in discussing is, um, the trend of food as, uh, medicine and food as health first, mm-hmm. uh, where it used to be food as flavor food as entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're really smart because you're, you're talking about the demographic. Like, listen, like my business concept um, is better for this demographic, is better for this market. The mm-hmm. other pizza like, is just pizza, Like, whereas this is healthy pizza mm-hmm. and we're surrounded by gyms. And I think that was one thing in my conversation when I came in here uh, last week talking mm-hmm. to you, like you were talking about the, the heavy saturation of gyms around here. Do you want to get into that and how that mm-hmm. influenced you picking this location? Yeah, so I think there's a couple different things in trying to figure out where my best location would be. So a lot of it is looking at where is my target market, as well as this is, I think, what I was thinking. Um, So I knew that being a brand new restaurant owner and brand new startup, going downtown where there's a lot more demand, like a Chipotle could be looking at the same place, there's no way... I'd get that space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I had to, I had to limit myself to neighborhoods or properties that would take a brand new restaurant owner. Mm-hmm. And I still didn't want to sacrifice the quality of my location. And so it all kind of worked out well, like downtown might have, I don't think it would have been like in hindsight, I don't think it would have been better than where I am now, but looking at the brand new buildings in downtown that I were on my radar, they just wouldn't lease to me. Mm. Because because that, I had no experience. No yeah. yeah. They, they were looking at other people that were chains or backed by franchises. There's just no way they would take that risk on me. Yeah. But I mean, I think it's really cool that you're looking at, you, you're, you're creating a new vertical, right? Mm-hmm. You're taking something that is so, if you're on a diet, the last thing you're going to eat is a pizza, mm-hmm. right? Like that's just yeah. one of those foods that like you eliminate. It's like, a, it's a treat. Like it's your mm-hmm. cheat day. And you're saying, well, it doesn't necessarily have to be bad. Mm-hmm. And you're taking this trend of food as medicine, food as as a mm-hmm. uh, sustenance before, you know, pleasure, you know, yeah. uh, and you're, you're leaning into that. And then you're saying, how can I reinvent the freaking pizza, which is one of those, those staples that, you know, there's, that's a dangerous, I mean, I feel like it takes a lot of courage to, to go and, and to, to take something that is so traditionally well-known um, and then say what you think of this thing is actually completely untrue. Yeah. You're taking the the name pizza, which is associated with unhealthiness mm-hmm. and you're saying, Nope, it's going to be healthy. I think I'm probably more than 
explaining yeah. my case right here. <laughs> take what I've shared and, and yeah. So I guess just to give your listeners a little bit of background, so Powerhouse is a healthy pizza concept. Yeah. By healthy pizza, I mean Mind we're taking <laughs> a traditionally unhealthy food and making it something that people um, like can enjoy eating and also feel good about eating. So we've got a protein crust. It's got ground flax in there. It's got like brown rice protein powder in that crust. So a vegetarian pizza, which is kind of how I started on vegetarian. I do a lot of weightlifting. I need a lot of protein for me is going to have 50 to 60 grams of protein. And there's no way I could get that from a normal meal. And to contrast that a traditional pizza probably has like two grams of protein. So we've made it very nutritionally balanced. We also have a gluten-free protein crust, a cauliflower crust, and then we have a traditional garlic herb crust. And then we've got grass-fed cheese. All our meats are going to be all natural. Um, We've got um, vegan options, so vegan chicken, a cashew cheese. And then it's, I guess, a little bit different in the sense that we've paired our pizzas with smoothies. So we've got superfood smoothies, salads, wraps, and if you look at our place, it's very white and bright, and it looks more like a juice bar than a traditional pizza place. Mm. And so just like people walking by at first are confused. They're like, wait, pizzas and smoothies? And then they learn about our concept, and they learn about what we're doing, and then it makes more sense. That's cool. <laughs> no, I think it's really interesting um, because you're creating your own vertical. You, uh, mm-hmm. you, you, out of the gate, are the number one healthy pizza place mm-hmm. because you're the only healthy pizza place. Yeah. And I think when you can create something, you create your own vertical, and you, being, you can be recognized as the number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's huge benefits in that. Uh, it's a gamble because mm-hmm. people might, might not want that one thing that you created, uh, but it seems to be working for you. And it takes a lot of education. So it's funny. Next week, I'm going to be selling pizzas for a school fundraiser um, at one of our local elementary schools. But we're going to be selling. I can't. I just don't have the capacity to supply all of them, and they don't know how it's going to do. So they're going to be selling their Domino's pizzas and our pizzas side by side. And my pizzas are going to be a dollar more per slice. So $2 for Domino's slice, $3 for mine. And it's going to be a huge educational piece because I'm going to have to have, I'm going to bring in like a paper that says, um, like a little poster that says, okay, so why are you going to spend an extra dollar for our pizzas? Mm. Why grass fed cheese? Why organic white flour? What's in traditional enriched flour? Um, why like the uncured nitrate free pepperoni? Yeah. So there is a huge educational piece that goes with my concept. Well, I think that's a big part of it too. When you, when you can educate people on something about the food, like when they can tie new knowledge to a a product, Mm -hmm. um, they're going to remember that product because Mm -hmm. it's, it's that those, that education process is an experience. And Mm -hmm. when you can tie experiences to food, you know, it, it tends to serve you in the long run. Um, anything else we haven't discussed up to this point before we start talking about you actually opening your doors? Mm-hmm. Any other big lessons b- during the pre-opening nope. stage? But I would say one thing I would like, like to leave is there's always, like, because there's going to be delays, I would say that my husband said, okay, reframe that. Like, you're not... You're not delaying yourself. And this is even before I even signed the lease, when I was frustrated about my immigration. It's like, this is not time where you're getting delays. This is time where you're preparing more. Yeah. And you're getting better at what you need to do so that you're going to be even more successful. Then. I love it. Great stuff. Uh, we're going to take one quick break to thank our sponsors. And we'll be right back to dive into the opening day. Bento Box is more, much, much more than just another restaurant website developer. It is a hospitality platform designed to disrupt third-party services that come between the restaurant and 
and the guest. Bento Bucks puts the restaurant first and offers tools that drive high margin revenue directly through the restaurant website. These tools allow you to easily update menus, promote and sell events, share your press and media attention with the world, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and much, much more. In other words, Bento Box puts you in control so that you can focus on what matters most, your restaurant. Bento Box is trusted and loved by over 5,000 restaurants worldwide because they empower restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships online. Sign up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable. One more time, that is getbento.com slash unstoppable. All right, we're back in... Um Take us to maybe like a week or a couple of weeks before opening, uh, the mm-hmm. whole process of opening. I know you have some issues with finding people to, to join your team in the mm-hmm. early days. I gave you some anxiety. Do you want to take it from there? Yeah. I would say that when we were wrapping up construction and then I was, okay, next step, now I need to hire a team. And you can't hire a team so early because everybody's looking for a job where they can start right away. Um, especially, I would, so my team's comprised of young 20-year-olds. They're not that much younger than me. And... And I had put the job posting out on Craigslist, indeed, and I wasn't getting any bites. <laughs> and um, in my mind, coming into this, I was like, oh my God, Paris is going to be this awesome thing. People are going to love working here. But nobody knew what it was. So there was no interest because yeah. it was just, and it was also over the holiday. So we were finishing up construction in December. So not a lot of people were around or they're just busy with family. We were looking at a January open. And so... I would say that from my experience, um, I felt desperate when I was doing my interviews. There were some people that I didn't feel like clicked, but then I was thinking, you know what? At least they're going to show up and yeah. they're also a little desperate for a job. They're going to at least show up to all of the shifts and I can they rely need on me them. as much as I need. Them. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think, I think I made some bad decisions there. Um, I think I hired some people that I knew, I knew that they wouldn't, f- they weren't like the personality that I'd want to fit, but I felt like I just needed people and I wish, um, I didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, what happened because of that? It created a very negative work environment. Um, to the point where, you know, I'd, ha- I'd have to schedule pe- like a couple of people that just didn't fit in with the rest of the team and just had a very negative personality. I didn't, I wasn't even excited to come in to work and open with them and I'd have to schedule them with different people. It caused scheduling issues and just like just negative tension when most of my team was really awesome, really positive. And you want to come into a place with a team that you actually enjoy working with. Yeah. It took a while. It was hard to kind of transition them out too, because in, in California there's, um, very like stringent labor laws. Mm -hmm. And so you, once you make a bad hire, it's hard to just get rid of that bad yeah. hire. So what things do you did you do or have you worked into your operation to protect you from somebody who's not a right fit culturally? So I now know, like I have my best people. So now we're 10 minutes in, I've got my best team members and I go to them. I say, like, we have a, we have a new hire and I ask, okay, how is he fitting in with you? Do you guys like working with him? Because for me, and even for new, like when I'm interviewing new people, I have them like kind of chat with the new people. Like what, what, what sense are these people getting from my existing team? Because I want to make sure that my existing team, I retain them because mm. they're great. Yeah. Um, and they, 
for them to stay retained, um, they it's not just the pay; it's, it's they've got to enjoy the people that they're yeah, coming so they're to work with. To, they're also getting to influence the mm-hmm. people they're surrounding themselves with. What what about on paper? What are you doing? Are you are you uh, writing down any? Um, are you getting them to sign any? Uh, there's a name for it. And it's not. It's escaping my mind right now. Uh, basically. Uh, codes of conduct, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're not dressing this the right way, if you're, if you don't have the right attitude, like this is, these are yeah. our core values and you agree to uphold these core values. So, yeah. so if, if you, you know, if you don't uphold these core values or you don't commit to these rules that we set, like you're on your way. Did you, are, have you worked on anything I feel like, like that? it's just like a personality thing. Gotcha. So at, when you're sitting down for an interview, that person's on it, right? They're bringing their best self to the interview because they want the job. And so, you know, in the first interview, they might have a really good personality fit. They may be super chatty. And then you might go into the first couple, I don't know, like first couple shifts and maybe they're not that same person that you expected when you first hired them to. Sometimes it's time. Like it just takes maybe it's shyness. They just need to open up a little bit. And that's what we're finding with our new person is just, you know, just they're actually like what wasn't sure for the first month or so and now somehow they've blossomed and they yeah. chat and they're taking initiative so sometimes it's time and sometimes it is just a bad hire yep so, so sticking to that three month window of like this is your three month probationary period and then figuring out okay i just need to call it quits this yeah. isn't working out but the big lesson i'm pulling from this is you know have that standard for who you want to hire and mm-hmm. then don't settle because yeah if you settle a little and then you settle a little the next time and you settle a little the next time over time that's going to compound and you're going to be way off of that original vision you had for the type of person you want to be working for your yeah. restaurant. And at the end of the day, we're only as good as the people we attract onto ourselves. So you yeah. have to have that standard. You have to put your foot down when it comes to mm-hmm. hiring the right people. Um, so what are, what are you doing? So aside from getting, letting your, um, so your employees wait in, what else are you doing? To, this summer we've, around? I've been short staffed. There's been periods where I've done interviews and I haven't found somebody that I liked and I realized I'd rather be short staffed. Um, have my existing team just cover a little bit more or just be very open with them and be like, look, like if you call out of the shift, there's nobody to cover you. And I'd rather you ha- keep your hours because they want their hours. I'd rather you keep your hours and wait till we find a good person to join our team than to just hire somebody because we need to fill it in. Yeah. And so that's something that like is very transparent with the whole team and they all have to pitch in when we were, when we were understaffed because I didn't want to just hire somebody. Got you. Um, what about actually opening, um, like aside from employees and, and dealing mm-hmm. with the poor choices for hiring, what else did you have for challenges? I feel opening? like during that first, that last month or two of construction and the first month of opening, it felt like, Every day there was a new problem, and then the minute I solved that problem, there was a new problem that came up. Welcome to the life of the restaurant. <laughs> and it took a while to just, it took a while for me to understand that process and not get stressed over that process and just be like, this is what it is. Yeah. And, <laughs> and just a, accept it. Exactly. Like your, your job is putting out fires yeah. and solving problems. Um, and I, it really felt like that. Like there would be things like, okay, like my distributor is like, okay, well our cheese isn't going to come in for another month because we didn't place the order in advance. And mm. I was going to sprouts and buying the cheese at retail price because oh, I didn't want to open without our grass fed cheese. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I mean, these are things to do like that, you know, it's, you got to walk the walk too. You can't promise these things. You can't put these things on your menu and then Mm -hmm. not give them what you're saying you're going to give them. Um, but you're also, I'm sure as you're going and as you're, you're realizing, oh man, I gotta have that. I have to have this order in a month in advance. You're creating Mm -hmm. checks and balances 
as you go because you don't know until you know. Yeah. So are you documenting these? How do you how how do you document these new standards and these new practices as you're discovering that you need to build system around them so you don't forget mm-hmm. to place that order? So I would say that I thought I had done a very good job of creating a lot of systems. So before I opened, I had checklists for everything. I had opening, closing checklists. Um, I had very clearly thought of my roles of what I wanted each of my employees, like the different roles that they'd be doing. And it just changed. It's just in reality, it's going to be a little different, but I had a very good starting point and I kept adjusting it as I went along. I think that's important to know that like, don't be so like bullheaded Mm -hmm. and thinking that it's going to be exactly the way you you envision it and be willing to adapt. Mm -hmm. I think that's one thing that you did with your pizza too. Mm -hmm. We didn't really get into that, but your focus was health, healthy pizza, Mm -hmm. but some people are coming in, they wanted more of a traditional pizza crust. Mm-hmm. And how hard was it for you to, I think, to budge it, from that? I think it was, I think it's important to know when to pivot and when to just stay true to what you're trying to do. Your, your mission, your vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we introduced the garlic herb crust a couple months after opening. I didn't think I'd need it. I thought that we would just have our gluten-free crust, our cauliflower crust, and then our whole grain crust. And our gluten-free crust is very good. And I thought that that would be like our normal white crust. But we had people coming in that were attracted to the way that the interiors looked or had heard about it from a friend, but were on a different level of healthy than my concept was. So we had to adjust and bring in a new crust. Um, and, and that was a big process for me because I wasn't, I had not ever made traditional pizzas yeah. <laughs> and traditional pizzas if anybody owns a pizza place it's there's a lot in ter- it's it seems simple but like learning the time the temperature the controls well, the of your thing. dough you have you you custom purchased mm-hmm. this oven to handle the temperatures mm-hmm. that are unique to the, the dough that you created right yeah so how do you handle that how, how are you cooking do you, do you have to have a separate oven for the traditional pizza? Um, our, we have a split belt oven. So gotcha. we use a conveyor oven and we've got two different time settings. Gotcha. And so from there, we then adjust like, okay, like do we put it in halfway, partway in? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. That's how we can... Um, what else did you have to adjust while opening? Adding in the menu items was pretty big. Like adding in the garlic herb. So a lot of it was paying attention to the questions that customers were asking. And we wrote down all those questions, especially for the initial few months. So I had my team, whoever's taking orders, like if somebody's asking, okay, do you guys have sausage? Write that down. Are we getting requests for, so jalapenos was something that we added in after a lot of people were requesting jalapenos. So we brought in fresh jalapenos. Mm-hmm. So just if somebody's Tracking. asking for it, yeah. Keeping track of what people are asking for. Cause that's, that's what's that process missing. of keeping, uh, what was your process for keeping track of that? Writing it down. Then what would happen to it? Um, writing it down and then also asking for feedback from my team. So every, like when we first opened, we were doing a lot of feedback checks, like every week. Okay. What have you been like, what's been requested for you? What can we be doing differently? What can we be doing more efficiently? And we've got a board in the back that has all of our updates, call it. And then when people come in for their shift, we just go over any updates. Okay. Everybody's on top of like any changes. So when going back to the, um, recommendations so you would write down this oh somebody asked for jalapenos Mm -hmm. where would that piece of paper go after we had it in the front and then as a team we'd kind of debrief over everything and be like is there anything else that you feel like we're getting a lot of requests for that we should be adding onto the menu 
Um, so that's just for customer stuff as well as efficiencies in the kitchen. Like what okay. can we be doing differently or what, what do we need to have notes yeah. on? This, and, this rem- reminds me so much of lean, uh, Eric Reese's the lean startup and that mm-hmm. idea of like, you've got to, you've got to constantly be open to what people are saying in, in pivoting and adapting. Mm-hmm. It's easier to pivot and adapt when you're smaller because mm-hmm. you haven't formed hard systems yet that people mm-hmm. have for put into habit. Right. Yeah. So like, as, you know, it's, it's good to like you, but at the same time you don't want to lose focus as or you don't want to change so much that you lose your identity. How yeah. have you found that, that balance? So I guess it's still understanding like still using high quality ingredients. So our garlic herb crust, it's just understanding that there's a, a range of what people want. Mm-hmm. So it's not, and, and that's kind of our whole concept, right? Some people find vegan to be super healthy. Some people think that the cauliflower crust is the healthiest. Um, it's, and our whole mission is, well, it's what's healthiest for you at any given moment, because that's going to change, right? Maybe one day you've worked out really hard. Maybe one day you haven't been, ha- had a lot of activity. So different things are different for different people at different times. Okay. And it's just providing a lot of options for you to make that decision for yourself. I got you. One thing we have to talk about um, is your uh social media. I think you mm-hmm. do social media really well. You had the, um, the, the wherewithal to, is that, is that the right term, use the <laughs> word? You had the, the, you're smart enough to, to start early, you know, mm-hmm. you didn't wait for your, your restaurant to open. You, you started when, um, the process of opening your restaurant mm-hmm. and then you were also, I think just overall, you do a really great job in social media. What's your approach? So I was on, like, I had my own Instagram account that started as more of a fitness account before opening powerhouse. And I really leveraged the audience that I had on Instagram to pull them into the journey. So even things like, okay, what, what pizza toppings would you like? Or does this smoothie look appealing to you? Or what ingredients would you want? I, and I used my personal Instagram to ask and engage people into the whole concept before we were even open. And I also used it to create communities. So I so because we're a health and fitness concept, where are my customers going to be? They're going to be at all the different gyms and fitness studios in the neighborhood. And there's over 30 within like a mile of yeah. where we are. So creating relationships with the other fitness and business owners in the neighborhood to pull on their communities before we even opened and created like a huge network. So when we did our opening days, we invited all these people that were part of our fitness communities that would be our potential customers. But they would have been a little bit easier on us at the beginning because they already had some sort of connection to me through Instagram. So Instagram has been really huge for us. So you're developing that relationship in, mm-hmm. you know, they're not going to just blow you up because they you're, they know who you are now. You know? Yeah. They're not going to just destroy you online because like there's a, there's a personality behind the brand. Yeah. And they feel vested in our success. They're part of the process. They're really excited about it. Um, and they have those touch points. And so... Uh, and then we, we use Instagram, like we have, I've spent money on having good photographers to come in and do our Instagram feed. Um, that's, I guess, our first impression. So a lot of people say that your website is your first impression. I feel like with our demographic, if I was like, oh, Eric, like I heard about this new restaurant, the first place that our demographic is looking is pulling up the Instagram feed. Exactly. Yeah. And then hopefully the, the goal is to get them to go from Instagram to your website. Yes. You're, you're recruiting them, pulling mm-hmm. them to your website. Yeah. Um, when you're approaching all these different businesses, these health clubs and these gyms, these owners, how are, how, how does that conversation look? How are you getting on their good graces? So we try to s- support their 
business at the same time. So I'm attending a yoga class and then following up and be like, Hey, I just like attended one of your yoga classes. I loved it. We'd love to partner up with you guys. Um, we'd like to do an, a co-event together, or we can invite your community in and do a discount for you guys. Um, we just really like what you're all about. And I think that we fit very so well. You, you pump their ego a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you like, you show how you align with that yeah. and how we share, you show how it would benefit them to mm-hmm. do a partnership with you. Yep. So we can do something for your community f- to feel like they have, you know, more of a community. So maybe it's a community event or give them a discount. So it's just trying to figure out how we can both help each other's businesses. So cross promotions, like we'll, we'll do a cross promotion event with a spin studio and then we'll be promoting their spin studio on our socials as well as vice versa. What are the most successful social events you've hosted? Like social media events and using like uh, events with social media included for promoting that event. Like what, what's the biggest, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know the right word to use. Like, uh, I'm so we a do a lot of different <laughs> events. Like we'll do, um, like workout plus pizza events with our surrounding businesses. We'll do host socials for them. One that was really successful was we partnered with two nutritionists and then two Instagrammers, like Instagram influencers, and we had a panel discussion. Do you pay those Instagrammers? No, they, they just do because they are excited about sh- showcasing um, their, you know, it builds what, what their brand as well. Yeah. yeah. And so we had about 30 young women in here and we were talking about body positivity, navigating diet trends. That's a tight group. I mean, this isn't that a huge space. That's, no, yeah, it was, it was packed. Nice. It was good. And it, it was just a really nice event where we were showcasing people that we care about and talking about like, you know, things that maybe traditionally overwhelm our customers when it comes to, should I be doing keto diet? Like I see my favorite Instagram models doing keto. Is that what I should be doing? So just like talking about that with nutritionists. Okay. Um, just like different community events. We've done events on what you could be eating to help your skin. So figure out a way to create more of a community around what we're doing as opposed to just a place where you come in for food and leave. What else are you doing with Instagram that served you well? We do a lot. We try to encourage user-generated content. Okay. Um, so we'll we'll put in the pizza boxes a little business card that says share our Share a picture of your pizza. Use our hashtag so we know you're entering in a sense and we'll give you a free kombucha next time you come in. Nice. And that's huge because people almost see Instagram as a new word of mouth. Um, I like this week I had somebody come in and they said, oh, like I we always ask people how you hear about us if they're a first time customer. That person said, oh, like I saw you on my friend's Instagram story. Okay. So how do you get more of those people to keep sharing? So incentivizing them. We've done things where we've done like um, a $50 gift card. So if you tag us on Instagram, you'll be entered to win a $50 gift card. That didn't work as well as something that's um, like immediate satisfaction. So if you share this, you get a kombucha next time. Okay. Um, one thing I am uh, curious about um, with the social I'm going to challenge you a little bit here. Mm-hmm. How much Well, first of all, just let the listeners know, like you've been open for eight months now. Right? Yeah. Nine. Yeah. Almost 9,000 followers, 860 mm-hmm. or sorry, 800, sorry, 8,636 followers. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of your Instagram su- success do you think has to do with the beautiful people that are on your uh, account? <laughs> <laughs> how does well, that play into it? We're just creating a brand around yeah. what we are and we're trying to create a brand around healthy lifestyles and health and wellness. I think it's one of those things that you know, if you're a healthy person and you're taking care of your body and you're going to the gym every day and you're mm-hmm. conscious of what you're going to eat, you're probably going to be in a tr- like at least physically attractive. Yeah. Like, like you know, um, it's, it's just around. Do you think creating- that plays into it? 
Um, not really. Okay. I, I don't think so. I think that it's more just like our main demographic of people coming in are coming in from the yoga studio next door. Yeah. So it's trying to create like we just picked up a little basket so people could hang out there, like leave their yoga ba- your their yoga mats. Um, near the door. So it's just trying to create a whole lifestyle and brand around what we are versus just a pizza place. Gotcha. And bringing in like the beach lifestyle, like California, mm-hmm. SoCal. So what haven't we discussed up to this point that you think we need to discuss to feel complete? Um, let me think here. I, I really do think leveraging relationships and partnerships is really big. I've spent a lot of money on like digital marketing agencies or people that said, okay, do these Google AdWords. And I spent a lot of money on that. And I would say wasted a lot of money on that. Um, For me personally, a lot of that didn't work. Like I've done like a geofencing campaign and it was really expensive. Um, I would say that what's worked the best for us is just doing samples. So going to the yoga studios and bringing samples of our smoothies or gorilla marketing, right? Yeah. Like we go to crunch, like we just do so many samples at so many of the gyms, which is where our target demographic is. And that's what works. That brings people in the door. Mm. Um, and then Instagram. So trying to do more, like trying to encourage more user content to share us and then promoting our posts so that they actually get seen. Cause Instagram organically is very hard. So, I would say those are the two areas that have worked best for us for marketing, but like I've spent so much money on people promising the world to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I didn't like it takes a while to figure out what works for you. And it takes a lot of money to figure yeah. out what works for Reflecting you. Reflecting over this past, well, over almost three years now since really conception, mm-hmm. right? Um, what has been the biggest challenge for you? The biggest challenge is just revenues, like bringing my sales up. Yeah. Um, and it's different than what I expected. So it's just understanding how do you stay relevant? Like we'll have customers that come in and that love our pizzas, but then maybe don't come back for four months. So trying to figure out a way to stay top of mind for them all the time and be their go-to spot. And how have you evolved in that vertical of staying top of mind? I would say I'm still working on that. Okay, that's good. <laughs> I'm still working on that, but I, I think that like just spending more on the Instagram and having our email list, so like doing more partnerships. We have an Instagrammer, um, blogger, friend of mine who's then done um, who we did a collaboration smoothie with, and so she created a menu item. So just like always staying on people's social platforms, yep. and maybe not coming from me, but coming from like the gyms that they go to or from the other people that they're following. And knowing, okay, we've done we've done events where we've int- like in- invited foodie bloggers in, and we won't see any return from that. But then when we have fitness bloggers yeah. come in, we'll see five people come in from that because the, those are the people that are going to be eating your food. Yeah, so I it's mean, just really knowing your audience. Yeah, like the food porn stuff. I mean, that's usually the most unhealthy thing out there. Right? <laughs> it's it's yeah. pretty and it looks amazing, but it's not going to help yeah. you lose that that extra pound. You yeah, know, at the gym this week. Yeah, so it, that makes sense. Go it's to where your people what, are. Yeah, but, and it's seeing what's wor- what's working and then doubling down on that. Mm-hmm. So people come in because they think our aesthetics are really cute. So okay, so we're bringing in people that way. So we're going to like what I have on my wish list or what I want to do next is do even more with our aesthetics, like do more paint on the walls. Cause I know that's what's bringing people in and that's, what's encouraging people to share powerhouse. Yeah. Awesome. I have loved this conversation. I like to wrap up all the free flowing portions of the conversation with asking how you've transformed the mission statement is to inspire empower, and transform the industry. How are you different today? Who, who is the Anisha today versus the Anisha three years ago when just breaking out and trying to tackle this project? 
Uh, I would say personally, um, I think I've just learned how to balance myself a lot more. Um, when we first opened, I didn't take any days off and I was slipping into a very negative, like burnout phase till about a couple months ago. And I realized, you know what? I actually need to have more balance. Mm. <laughs> so just like understanding, like just taking care of yourself throughout the whole process. Cause if you burn out, you don't get enough done. And now I wake up early, like I have my rest day. So I wake up early, I get my work done and then I come into the store. I'm here. I'm giving hundred percent of my time, hundred percent of my energy. So it's just taking care of yourself. <laughs> mm, so good. It's so powerful. Um, I've loved this conversation. One more quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. If you're sick of paying multiple vendors and services to outfit your restaurant needs only to deal with the frustrations of technology that's clunky and void of that seamless experience that you so need, then you've got to check out restaurant. Restaurant 365, a cloud-based restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with your POS system, payroll provider, food and beverage vendors, and banks. With Restaurant 365, you'll have real-time reporting and analysis to make the best and most data-driven decisions. No more guessing. Other features include detailed daily and labor data from your POS system, accounts payable automation, automated bank reconciliation, incorporated inventory management with guidance on reducing your food costs and scheduling features to reduce labor costs and engage your employees, all saving you time, money, and headaches. Take action today and find out how Restaurant 365 is saving restaurant owners up to 5% on Prime costs. That's awesome. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and get a free inventory build within the system, a value of 5k. Your job as a restaurant owner or manager is to paint a picture of the job done right and to empower your employees with the tools and knowledge they need to excel. This is why you need to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system trusted by our industry's most recognized names. With Wisetail, quickly scale your training initiatives across all locations, empower your employees to take control of their own learning and professional growth, foster communication and engagement through their integration training and communication tools and ensure long-term scalable success with the help of their best in breed client experience team. They'll take you from goal setting and implementation to ongoing strategy and best practices training to make sure you maximize your ongoing investment in your training and your programs. And if you use my links, you'll get three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. All right, we're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trade, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Uh, being able to teach myself stuff. I, I think I'm very good at just finding YouTube videos, learning. <laughs> oh, what's the word? There's a word for that. Uh, Autodidact or ad <laughs> I have no idea. Autodidact? Autodidact? <laughs> I don't know. It'll come to me later. People are probably shaking their heads at me right now. Uh, what is your biggest weakness? I think I'm too trusting. Ooh. Like I think I, I uh, get influenced easily. So just standing my ground a little bit more. I like it. Uh, what is one question you ask or things uh, you look for during the interview process? Uh, if there's somebody I'd want to work with, like, do I like their personality? Would we enjoy our time together? Okay. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today? Uh, like I mentioned, just figuring out how to, Bring in more revenues. Okay. How are you overcoming that challenge? 
we've been focusing on catering a lot. Okay. So I've been going out to businesses, dropping off lots of catering menus and saying, incentivizing the office manager. So if you order by November 30th, we'll give you 10% off as an Amazon gift card. Mm, there you go. Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. Um, I would say for them, just bring the energy that you want. Like when you're talking to customers, bring the energy. That's mm. what people feed off of. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? This is the way you go above and beyond. So it's something that's common within your four walls, not common within the industry. Uh, I think that they do a very good job of like being like, oh, do you want to try this? Do you want to like, are you, you're kind of curious about the pizza? Let me go bring out a sample of that for you. Oh, you're like looking at those kombuchas here. Try these different kombuchas. Yeah. Encouraging them to get familiar with the food. Yeah. Even just sitting here and watching you uh, interact with your guests. I think one thing you do really well is you make it personal. Um, you see somebody who's clearly in workout clothes, uh, and you try to connect with them. What gym Mm -hmm. do you go to? Uh, you try to relate, you know, um, would you say that's something that you encourage the rest of your team to do? Yes. It's a little different. I think that it's always different being the owner of the business yeah. than your team. Yeah. <laughs> so they, I try to, like I try to, but then sometimes they're shy. Yeah. Well, they're, they're young too, right? Yeah. So, uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? I really liked, um, how to hug your customers. Ooh, what was the biggest lesson from that book? It's just about service. It's you're selling more than just the product. Mm, what are you selling? What else? So what else are you selling? So the experience, um, a community space, a place where they feel comfortable, a place where they feel healthy and like they're investing in themselves. Mm. And what was the name of this book? How to hug your customers. Awesome. This is episode 667. Sorry, 677. Head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 677. I'll have that book in the show notes. And, um, is that an audible? I haven't heard of that on audible yet. I don't, I, I looked at, I pulled it up from the library. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Um, maybe organization. I really, and this kind of goes for anybody. I love Trello. Okay. It's the, it's got all my to-do lists online. <laughs> yeah. Well, so Trello, the way it works is it's kind of like, it's a left to right kind of movement, right? Like mm-hmm. where you have, these are my to-dos. These are the things I'm working on. And these are the things that are completed yeah. and you can customize that. Right. And I think that you just kind of get caught up in like your to-do list. Yeah. yeah. And so I have different lists for different days of the week. So I have an accounting day and I have a list for my priorities for accounting. Then I have local partnerships day and I've got my list for that. And this and is all so- in Trello. Yeah, so I've got a lot of lists. Do you are you working alone on this, or do you have other people working off this? I just use it myself. Okay, but like I split out my schedule. So that's the free version. Yeah, no, no, I have the paid one because I have a lot of um, cards that I want to have recurring. Gotcha. (laughs) But just like things like um, so, like I've kind of scheduled myself where Monday is a certain day that I focus on a certain aspect of the business. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Otherwise, you just don't get through everything. Mm, Got you. What is one? What was the last question I just asked you? The technology, right? What people okay. don't do. So just organization, like organize yourself. Oh, because we were talking about technology. I was oh, like, yeah. Sorry. I was like, wait a second. Does Did it I all blend some? in? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> name one service you've hired. So this is something that, this is a new question I'm asking. So I'm trying to figure out the best way to ask this question, but not necessarily a technology, but a service that you've outsourced to another person, whether somebody who has specialized knowledge, right? It could be a designer, an accountant, a like website designer or uh, Mm -hmm. a marketer or anything along those lines, somebody that you've went to for expertise who's served you well. Hmm. Um, 
I would say two, like my SEO, I've outsourced that. I thought that was something I could do on my own, but I've hired somebody to just take care of that. Um, and then I would say the other thing is I have a life coach. So oh, really? outsourcing some of the emotional stuff. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Um, so can you name the, the name of the person you outsource for mm-hmm. SEO? Yeah, uh, SEO is called Whiplash, but they're a local company. And I think they only work Okay. With local businesses. And who's your, who's your life coach? Uh, her name is Sadie Ackerman. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we can link to those services if yeah. you're in the San Diego area. Uh, and this is not the last question. Sorry. I'm still getting used to my added question there. Uh, what is one piece of technology? You've already mentioned Trello. But mm-hmm. is there another piece of technology that you're leveraging within the four walls of your business? Uh, this is a hardware or service as a technology mm-hmm. that you can share with us. So we use Toast for our POS and I'm very, very happy with Toast. Why did you go with Toast? I did a lot of research between the different ones and they just had all the functions that I wanted. And then I also liked them because they were growing so quickly. So they were always investing in their software. So whenever we had different things we wanted to add in, I just felt comfortable that they were growing the fastest. Got you. And now this is the last question. It's a doozy. Are you ready for it? Mm-hmm. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? I would say um, live your life the way that like makes you the happiest. That's one. And then I would say always surround yourself by good people. That's two. <laughs> and then the third, spend like you need quality time with yourself. Yes. That is three. <laughs> this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for letting me make an example of you. Uh, it's crazy to think that you're only eight months into this and you are as polished as you are. And uh, I'm just super excited for watching oh, you grow into you. the future. Uh, I've listened. I've learned so much from this from your podcast. So I hope that I get to, you know, that was going to be one, that. <laughs> that was gonna be one question I was going to ask you. Yeah. But I got shy. What as a restaurant unstoppable listener, yeah. um, how has this podcast, this is more, this is a selfish. A I think question. I forgot to mention it, but when you were first talking about getting prepared, um, I learned a lot. So I was chatting with other restaurant owners, but I listened to so many of these podcast episodes and I, I applied a lot of those podcast episodes while I was going through this journey. Oh, cool. So it's almost like instead of working in a restaurant to learn from uh, one restaurant's experience, I got to every episode learn from a new restaurant. So like within a one month time frame, maybe I learned from 20 different restaurants. Yeah. So it's it's super huge. powerful to be able to to put all this knowledge into one mm-hmm. spot. And uh, I was I was curious to know how yeah. the show is. I would say that, that this is where I've learned the most about restaurants. <laughs> oh, awesome. Glad to serve. My pleasure. And uh, how can we connect with you if we maybe want to come join your team? Or maybe we're an we're, uh, early restaurant owner ourselves. And so we I love you. Instagram. My okay. handle is a slice of dot life. And then the restaurant is Powerhouse, Power, H-A-U-S, Pizza. Yeah, so Powerhouse, like the German house. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, and just again, thank you so much. Uh, the episode number is 677. Head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 677. I'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as any tools and services recommended in how to connect with Anisha. And Anisha, again, thank you so much. Oh, I almost forgot to ask you to call somebody out. I'm all over. Oh, yes. It's so obvious <laughs> I have not had coffee this morning. Um, I, I would say I have a lot of respect and inspiration for holy matcha which is a a matcha place in san diego because they've done an amazing job with their brand and design Mm. and that's a lot of people i mean they have good food but people go there because they're so attracted to Mm. the brand and design and that's why people are sharing it you can't underestimate yeah and the owner of that is geraldine yeah 
Geraldine, look up. Medora, after you. Medora, I think, yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, I'd love to get you on the show, and uh, now I'll say it. There is no questioning, Anisha. You are unstoppable. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah, there we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable in the archive. I hope you all found value in today's conversation. And I could not be more excited to announce that Restaurant Unstoppable is now on video. That's right. I'm not talking about a still cover photo with audio on YouTube. I'm not even talking about a pixelated Skype video with me and my guests in, you know, 3,000 miles apart. I'm talking in person in the restaurant HD video now available on YouTube. And I could not be more excited. And you're going to be like right there with us in the restaurant. You're going to get to see behind the scenes footage, hopefully. And, you know, we've recorded over 50 interviews to date. And I've been taking the restaurant unstoppable now for uh, almost two years. We've been on the road. And the natural evolution is to bring a camera and to, to let you guys see my guests, to let you guys see the restaurant, to let you see the real human connection that's happening there. And uh, I'm just so excited. If you guys want to. See these videos. Here's what you got to do. Head over to YouTube and search Restaurant Unstoppable uh, and then subscribe to future episodes. Or what you can do is head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash whatever episode number it is. And I'll be sure going forward to have a link to that video or to that episode's video on YouTube. And please subscribe. And please, please, please help me spread the word about what, what, what I'm doing here with these interviews. Uh, the the you know the finest the most successful restaurateurs sharing their knowledge sharing their values sharing their stories to transform the industry to to make us all better and to uh just just to you know go in a, the right direction uh i cannot be more excited so again head over to restaurantunstoppable.com whatever today's restaurant or whatever today's episode number is, or just shoot to uh, YouTube and search Restaurant Unstoppable and subscribe to the face-to-face interviews. And uh, also, guys, I got to remind you to please subscribe to my emails and to find me on social media. Eric at RestaurantUnstoppable.com is the email. Social media, Eric Cacciatore in uh, Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. Uh, cannot wait to connect. And I'm so, so, so excited for the future. This is going to be awesome. All right. Until next time, peace out.